You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hey, everyone. If you like this podcast, you should check out the full finance journey at realvision.com slash rvpod to get the full view of what Real Vision is all about. A video on-demand platform you can watch anywhere. Our members get daily videos and analysis, plus access to more than 3,000 videos for beginners and experienced investors alike, and live events online. You'll join the most thoughtful community in finance. More than 300,000 people who trust Real Vision to be the anchor to truth in the financial world. To get started, visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code PODCAST10 to get 10% off our essential membership for your first year. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, and welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Andreas Dino from Real Vision, sending to you live the 22nd of August. On a, another day of absolute mayhem in uh, energy markets. So in the light of that ongoing turbulence in energy markets, uh, we've decided to ask the question today, when will the energy crisis end? And uh, I have invited the global markets editor from Real Vision, uh, Western Nakamura, to join me for a discussion on uh, on that exact topic. Western, it's uh, good to see you again. How are you? Great to see you, Andres. How are you? Good. I mean, we've basically got most of the energy importing world represented here today, Western, with Japan and, and Europe being in the same virtual room. Uh, but before we get to that uh, discussion on the energy crisis, uh, let's just have a sort of brief top-down assessment of the market moves we've seen across assets today. It seems as if energy is uh, in the driver's seat. Yeah, certainly, um, especially in, in your neck of the woods. Um, you know, with with Germany uh, hitting 700 on uh, you know that level on power, um, if you want to get into that, yeah, I mean, cr- crazy move. Uh, I think we can bring up a chart uh, on on France. Actually, uh, Germany is also very interesting from an electricity perspective. But uh, if you bring up the chart, Brian, on on the French uh, pricing of electricity into the winter, uh, we basically reached new levels uh, in in the pricing of the December contract for electricity in France at above twenty five hundred euros per megawatt hour uh, for the peak load. So basically, the the hours during the day where you use the most electricity. Uh, uh, quite an interesting move today in in uh, in energy across the board as a consequence of this move in electricity and and natural gas. Western, we've seen spillovers to um, the FX space, and I think last time the two of us debated on on Real Vision um, daily briefing, we had a discussion on whether the euro was a good short. Um, I think we agreed at the time that it was a good short, but the debate was against which currency to short it. Uh, so, what should take right now, given what we see in European energy markets? Yeah, actually, no. So what you and I were so last time it was just you and I. Um, this was the the day before July FOMC. So heading into July FOMC, and it wasn't actually um, a USD or Euro short. What we were doing was talking about uh, JPY long, the given the very crowded you know short JPY position, and if there would be any sort of any hint of. Uh, I don't want to say dovishness, but slightly less hawkishness coming out of uh, perceived come out of the the FOMC. You may see 
you know, an enormous amount of profit taking and closing of this position of um, of policy divergence between the U.S. and Japan, um, which is what the long U.S. DJPY trade was. But uh, what I was saying then was instead of shorting USDJPY, um, you go long the yen against the euro. So you short EURJPY. Um, and, you know, the, there were several reasons for it. One of the, the kind of bigger fundamental one being that, you know, it was my belief at the time that with the ECB having just rolled out um, their yield spread control program, they're looking more so like the Bank of Japan rather than they are the Fed, even with ECB's front-loaded uh, rate hike. Um, should that should the market realize that the risk um, that you had actually brought up at that time was for for being you know long the yen was that uh, was this very energy crisis um, that was hitting globally and you know if if energy prices continue to skyrocket and Japan is a massive importer of of, of not just energy but of just raw materials and. Um, basically everything, right? And so that can be um, a, a huge downside risk for JPY um, if you're going to be long. But the reason that I was saying that's why you go, that's why you short the euro against the yen is because by shorting the euro against the yen, it's my belief that you, so Japan has, you know, definitely has issues in terms of procuring uh, energy imports. However, they're not as bad, not nearly as bad as Europe. And so it's very hard for me to imagine a scenario going into at least the second half of this year in which in terms of specifically that front, that energy uh, import risk, that whatever headwinds Japan might be facing on that front, Europe has to be worse. And so therefore, a short EUR JPY trade almost has that built in hedge regarding that specific risk parameter. And so that's why you short EURJPY. And also because of, Brian, if you bring up chart one, um, you'll see that this was kind of intraday today. We hit parity again uh, for, you know, EURUSD. Very, very pesky um, <laughs> to to really break below that. Um, that's, you know, this is like, what is it, like a second or third time that this year that, that it's uh, attempted to, and it's not really meaningfully doing so. However, against the yen, there's plenty of you know air underneath there, um, and so that's you don't really have to deal with like this very stubborn euro USD parity like floor. Nor do you have to necessarily deal with the um, USD strength that will bring you know dollar yen higher if you're trying to go long the yen. So basically, you just take the dollar out of the equation, and you're left with shorting the euro against um, a very oversold yen. And so that's kind of the the trade. The bottom part of that, by the way, is where you and I had made that discussion, had the discussion about uh, going into the FOMC about you know shorting Euro JPY or being long JPY, and it's been the better of the sh of the shorts of those three pairs. It definitely has. Uh, I made a threat uh, earlier today on Twitter saying that if <laughs> Euro versus dollar hits 0.95, then I will open an OnlyFans account. So fingers crossed that we don't reach that point now because I don't think uh, anyone will like that scenario. But um, by the end of the day, you. let's get back to the discussion uh, on on the can actual I, stuff you're going. Yeah, <laughs> go ahead. Let, let me just. I just need to. I just because I just I was thinking about this um, right before we came on, um, and your and your your threat. <laughs> <laughs> that you put out there. Um, but A, please, for the love of God, Europe, get your act together uh, so that this doesn't happen. And and B, you know, maybe, I don't know if this is like an American sort of, uh, you know, term or whatever, but when people say 
they lost their shirts shorting the Euro. I don't think that this is exactly what they were talking about. So just wanted to make that clear in case you weren't clear. But uh, yes, let's let's move on and let's hope that the Euro doesn't uh, break too far below parity. Yeah. So one reason why I actually think that the Euro will gain a little bit of support uh, over the coming month or so in, in, in terms of the move against the dollar is that we actually see a very decent uh, building of gas storages in Europe right now. And I think, Brian, you can bring up a chart on the running flow of natural gas uh, into Germany right now. And I think it's um, quite underreported that Germany's gas flow is, is actually very, very strong right now. They're just paying a lot for the gas, but the flow is strong in sharp contrast to, to sort of the general opinion. So I think uh, the, the issue in terms of capacity has been more or less solved by now, but at a very, very high cost. So that's sort of the next thing to deal with for politicians, how to ensure that households and corporates will not face the entire cost. And if, if we get to that stage, I actually think that the euro could, could stage a comeback. But um, right now, right. the market is certainly thinking otherwise. Um, but Western, if we look broadly across the FX space, um, then I could bring up a chart also on, on the positioning. Uh, you've mentioned the uh, positioning in, in yen already. And if we look at the most recent data print uh, for the CFTC futures, then we can see that there is an, uh, a negative uh, net open interest in, in JPY at around 22% of the open interest. So basically a bit, still a big short in the Japanese yen. Do you think the yen will will basically have legs given this positioning still the the short yen so long usd jpy no um, so the, the long yen story given that the market is short the long yen mm. yeah so i mean it, it depends so again so you have, you're, you're going to jackson hole mm. i'm assuming that you know mr powell and friends they, they cannot at all seem slightly less hawkish i'm not going to use the term dovish but just like slightly less hawkish Otherwise, I mean, what 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 the hell are they doing there, right? So, um, so you're probably going to see, you know, against the dollar at least, you know, yen downside at least going into that in expectations, if not coming out of that, like having you know um, expectations that were for uh, a more dovish pivot sort of language to come out either way though you're probably going to see going into it or coming right out of it in the very near term in the immediate you know this week you're probably going to see um yen yen to uh to to, to drop further or, or dollar yen to to um to rise further but again this is why i just don't want to touch the the dollar at all and so this is why like shorting the euro yen cross rate you can have a situation in which like you're the, sh the chart you were showing you know um this this previous chart you were showing with um uh european uh energy i mean you could that's against that's a uh, euro usd play and again you could just remove those sort of factors from it and you can just strictly kind of look at almost policy divergence between boj ecb uh, perceived policy, policy divergence without this like parity psychological floor. It's not a psychological floor; it's, a, it's an actual floor, as we can see, <laughs> and and these other factors as well. Um, and and again, you know, the the, the risk to Japan um, is going to be less than it is for Europe, and so therefore, shorting the euro against the yen could be uh, a way to sidestep all of that. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. 
Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. I think that trait makes a ton of sense still. Uh, also, given that uh, the positioning is still very heavy in uh, in the US dollar on the long side, at least if we watch the CFTC data. I know that you have a uh, point to make in terms of the price action in the Chinese renminbi as well, uh, Western, because it seems as if it is an important gauge for risk assessment overall. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, I mean, the, the I'd say over the last... Uh, about two weeks or so, the focus really should have been for global cross-asset you know, market participants to keep a very close eye on uh, China, and that is expressed through and reflected via the uh, USD-CNY um, or CNH cross. CNH is the offshore you want. Um, but basically, so this is kind of the timeline event. So basically, uh, Wednesday, August 10th, right? PBOC, monetar- uh, they have a quarterly monetary policy report. And they were showing that, like their their concern was inflation. They were they're being hawkish, right? That was kind of strange. They were saying like uh, there's structural infl- inflation pressures and all that, and and so we can't we can't lower our guards is what they were saying, and so therefore, uh, I think it was literally zero surveyed economists predicted any sort of near term rate cut by the PBOC. So that was the uh, 10th of of August. The following Monday, so last Monday, August 15th, PBOC shocks the markets and the world by cutting one year uh, MLF rates by 10 basis points and then seven day reverse repo rates by 10 basis points. And they did that 15 minutes before a slew of horrendously shitty data that came out. Right. So you had July, you know, industrial production um, was missed by uh, I think it was uh, 3.8% versus four and a half percent in retail sales that came in terrible for July um, fixed asset investment, property investment, youth employment, as you uh, as you pointed out recently, um, hitting you know above twenty percent and all that, right? You have uh, Goldman cut China growth for, uh, forecast for this year for the second time this month, down to three percent. There's others that are saying like you know China growth is going to be in the two handle, um, and you can't really say that if you're on the sell side because you're going to be kicked out of China. But those who are not, not you know, those who are on the buy side are looking at you know two handle China. So, so all of that's happening, right? And so, so PBOC sh- does a reverse, like a, a sudden reverse, and they, they shot cut rates 15 minutes before all this came out. Um, and that was the that was a significant moment because that was the moment that marked kind of the top of this recent risk asset rally, this broad based risk asset rally, be it SPX or BTC or whatever, um, because CNY and risk assets began to correlate uh, to the downside. With CNY or USD CNY uh, inverse, right? So you have like you know um, USD CNY uh, rising. I think the sharpest in you know, I think over a year, NDX was down you know two and a half percent on the week following fifteen percent rally off of lows. And and you when you, when that stuff happens, you just, you just hear like general comments like oh it's about time like this bull market rally would be over. Nobody ever gives like a specific market reason. This is a specific market reason. Okay, um, Friday. Last Friday, August 19th, into the weekend, okay? Uh, Brian, can you pull up chart two, please? Uh, I will walk you through exactly what I'm talking about. 9.15 a.m. in China, in in, um, Hong Kong, China, okay? So basically, 9.15 a.m. is 15 minutes before 
China equity open. And that's the time that the PBOC sets its daily yuan fixing. They set it to above 6.8, which is a very psychologically key level. It's the weakest level since September, September 2020. And when they did that, risk assets, and that's because risk assets and yuan are correlated, BTC took its first of two major intraday drops, like, I don't know, 90 seconds later. Um, and yeah, so that's reflected in chart two. And then uh, later that day, you know, that same Friday, with about 16 or so minutes left until China and Hong Kong market close, which is 3 a.m. U.S., you know, 7 a.m. London. OK, so this is that window of time is like Asia activity, you know, predominant, right? That window of time. That's when you saw a huge BTC and risk asset liquidation um, as there was no meaningful market supportive policy that was coming out of China or perceived to be coming out of China. And traders were dumping risk, you know, before going into the weekend. Now, notice during in the same chart, notice during like weekend trading hours, BTC doesn't actually do anything. It's relatively flat. It only moves when traditional markets move and traditional markets currently driven by the yuan at the moment. So over the past, you know, since the top of this um, bear market rally, whatever you want to call it, this risk rally, um, that was marked by the top of this flip from for, um, you know, in, in China and perceived inability for Chinese policymakers to sort of save markets, if not the broader economy. And things are just kind of getting, you know, worse and worse. Um, and then you got yesterday, China cuts its one year uh, LPR by a very meaningless five basis points, cuts five year LPR, which is targeted at like mortgage rates, right, by 15 basis points. So what they're trying to do is they're, they're trying to signal mortgage and property sector concerns and, and support of that. Um, Bloomberg's reporting a $29 billion bailout of the property sector from authorities. But either way, Yuan starts breaking down, um, you know, going into this session, taking down equities as USDCNY is well above the 6.8 handle to a new year-to-day high, um, hit last uh, on, on May 15th. Um, and then, uh, Brian, can you just pull up this final chart, this chart three? Um, I just want to show this uh, USDC way, like year-to-date timeline. Okay, so basically, April twentieth is a significant day. Okay, before April twentieth, for like multi-year, basically for maybe like two years though, USDC and Y, which is a managed currency uh, that managed every day, they set the, the the fix every day. That was in a very stable, like plus or minus two percent range or so for years and years. Okay. On April 20 of 2022, the Bank of Japan begins to pre-announce consecutive day fixed rate JGB buying operations. In other words, they're offering to buy on unlimited JGBs, and that leads into them doing that forever and guaranteeing that forever instead of on a day-to-day basis. So April 20th was the last day that that people had any sort of uncertainty of what the BOJ would or would not do in terms of supporting the JGB market. And when that happened, that triggered uh, USDCNY for a 7.5% surge in the course of about 19 trading days. Years, it was flat in around 2%, plus or minus, 7.5% surge in, in within one month. Um, and then that surge ends on May 15th, when the IMF uh, increased the weighting of, this, of the yuan um, in their basket, CNY reverses and stabilizes, until now, and then just the past few hours ago, you saw USDCNY break through that March 15th level. And so now we're kind of in almost a free fall. And if we see like USDCNY up to seven, I mean, you're looking at you're looking at significant sharp downsides day after day after day coming in for SPX, for the DAX, for Euro stocks, for Bitcoin, for the Nikkei, for 
you know, risk assets for commodities and all that too. So very important to keep a, an, an eye on. Weston, if we assume that the Federal Reserve will sort of remain hawkish at Jackson Hole, and uh, at the same time we uh, we see at least small rate cuts in in China, will dollar versus the CNY then turn into the new dollar yen trade on the policy divergence front? Um, yeah, I mean, in, in a way, yeah, because from a from a policy divergence stance, yes, except for. It's a very interesting question because um, it's uh, one of them. So China is basically doing that, but they're doing it via directly by managing the currency, whereas the Bank of Japan is doing it indirectly by managing their JGB rate market. Mm. So I guess it's like manipulation by direct form or indirect form. But yeah, I guess. I guess in in concept it is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, in relation to this debate on uh, Asian currencies, I wanted to play a, a soundbite for you. It's uh, from a discussion between Brent Johnson and uh, uh, Francis Hunt uh, on the Hong Kong dollar peg and whether it's at risk of depegging versus the dollar as a consequence of all the turmoil that we see in both Japanese markets and Chinese markets. So let's listen to the soundbite and get back to that discussion. For people who aren't as familiar watching currencies and what can potentially happen, you know, we saw the yen earlier this year lose a lot of value, and it did it in a very steady manner over a number of months. That is not possible with a currency peg. <laughs> you will see the currency peg stay flat for a long time, and then it will just disappear, and you will see a massive move very quickly. It was able to happen that way on the yen because there was no currency peg. Um, but if we're talking about uh, the Hong Kong dollar, um, the fact that it's sitting right at its band level for a very long time shows that without the band, it would be doing exactly what the yen was already did earlier this year. But it's 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 the peg that keeps it flat. Anyway, I'm going to back to you. No, I love that, and I refer to it as the dam wall uh, breaking scenario. You either let a river run and it trickles on as the yen did, or you dam it up and you hold it artificially at a level, but at the end of the day, it's going to the sea and it goes a whole bunch faster, a whole bunch quicker when you do the dam wall because the dam wall breaks uh, and then the pressure's too much. So it's a very, very valid uh, point. And I would further to add to Brent's point saying, the longer they disproportionately hold a mispriced and they don't let markets uh, pricing mechanisms work, the greater the subsequent move. Now, don't forget, this has been a 40-year peg, but the pressure really is coming on now. So it just becomes a bigger, they store up a bigger move because they'll have less resources, they'll be leaner, uh, and they'll, they'll be complete capitulation. The entire discussion between um, Brett Johnson and Francis Hunt is available for essential subscribers to the Real Vision platform already. Weston, uh, back to you. I mean, um, this discussion on the Hong Kong dollar peg has been ongoing for at least as far as I can remember uh, the past decade or so. And it's been a bit favorite trade for many hedge funds to try and depeg the uh, Hong Kong dollar versus the uh, US dollar. But given uh, the market developments that we see right now in China and Japan, would you see a risk of, of this um, Hong Kong dollar peg uh, depegging over the course of the next year or so? I don't know, uh, to tell you the truth. If I look, coin toss 51.49, no. Um, would be my guess. Um, but what I will make a comment on, though, what with regards to what Brent Johnson was saying, 
about how like the you know so the yen is you know japan is a, an open economy open markets and so on and so forth developed markets blah 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 and so therefore dollar yen or, or the yen against whatever is a free-floating currency is set by market rates and, and all that that's true um and so you know his point about that's why you saw this huge move with the yen and you're seeing uh hkd instead like just basically uh, like a dam about to burst kind of just like at this limit um, in which the the peg is being enforced, whereas the Japanese currency is not doing that. And that's why it's allowed to fall. Yeah, that may be. However, if you look at 10 year JGBs at its 25 basis point ceiling, that is also a peg that is being artificially enforced by a central bank dam. Um, and when, if and when that explodes, this is my whole point about flagging BOJ since the beginning of this year. Um, that is very much a peg as well. It doesn't matter if it comes in currency form or if it comes in a major sovereign yield, uh, sovereign country uh, yield being artificially kept. Um, when they're right up against an artificial level, it means that that is not the fair market value. The fair market value is being suppressed. And if you have, if you like, let any sort of give happen. You're gonna see an explosion of of uh, cross asset explosion and and this huge mess, and so that's why I was I was and still am you know gonna be very focused anytime uh twenty or ten year JDBs hit twenty five basis points and people should be very concerned about uh you know the Hong Kong dollar also right up against the the edge of this this peg as well as well as like other managed currencies like the yuan as well right because because they if markets are let's say perceived the self perceived that they can win against a central bank, they will really try to push it. And sometimes they might be able to break. It might be a bank of England, uh, Soros situation, but from what I've seen, like a lot of time, mostly, most of these like markets versus central banks fights, at least like in these smaller battles, not the war, but the, the smaller battles, they tend to lose the market participants tend to lose. Um, so I don't know. I mean, one one of these days that the, they can win and win and be the heroes that beat the central bank. But I think George Soros was more, and the Bank of England is more so an anomaly and not really a uh, free markets will win at the end of the day sort of thing. Now I think that people that like have the printing press or have um, you know unlimited reserves, unlike the Bank of England back um, in the nineties, they will be able to at least persevere to get to the next sort of you know like safety point at least. We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah, and you're obviously right, Weston, that uh, when you have a peg in the FX, uh, as you have in, in Hong Kong, the moving part is the interest rate. Um, so we've seen a massive spike in, in the short-end interest rates in, in Hong Kong uh, through various uh, market disturbances in uh, in Hong Kong when the peg is, 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 is very close to its borders. But... Um, we get a lot of feedback from the audience uh, on the Real Vision page and on YouTube and on Twitter. Uh, so I wanted to to pass on a few questions to you, Weston, in relation to our debate. Um, 
Tim is asking us uh, for the perfect trade, given all of the information that we've presented today. So, I mean, ahead of Jackson Hole, uh, with the knowledge that we now have around the uh, CNY being sort of a gauge of the risk assessment, what's the perfect trade? Do you have a view on that, Weston? I, I, I never heard of something called a perfect trade before, <laughs> or <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, there is no sort of thing as a perfect trade. A trade, however, um, a coin toss. Uh, that you can risk manage into not losing money, perhaps, uh, might be a better way to think about it, would be, um, so the thing is that people can't really, tr- I guess, like, you know, a lot of people can't really trade the yuan necessarily directly, per se. Mm. Um, but I, you know, I would bet on further policy divergence from, you. okay, you could do it this way. You could still, you, I think that you could, there's still, like, in terms of a very short term, if you want, like, a very short term kind of speculative move, um, you can short the yuan. It's very difficult to do unless you're kind of institutional. Or you can uh, short the yen against the dollar because you'll probably see. Although the you know again, spot dollar yen is now reaching towards 140 level. It's obviously much more attractive when it's closer down to like the the, the lower 130s. But there might be like a pop there on a Powell comment. But again, there isn't really even like a press conference thing. So there's no real sort of speculative jolt with like a lot of like uh, algos like kind of lined up and like with futures like ammoed, you know, uh, like a full magazine of futures ready to like blast through the market. So, um, yeah. So a long winded way of saying no idea. (laughs) <laughs> I think the trade that I have the most sort of confidence in right now is to belong the S&P 500 versus being short the uh, DAX, so the German um, main index in, in equities. And I think the trade works simply due to the fact that uh, you have a bigger energy crisis ongoing in Europe and you have a spike in inflation in Europe relative to the uh, US, which will likely allow the European Central Bank to, to be more hawkish over time than the Federal Reserve, even if they have this yield curve control in in place. I I think they will simply be forced into rate hikes during the fourth quarter as a consequence of this um, massively rising um, energy sector uh, in in, in terms of the price pressures uh, across the board in in Europe. Um, I also think that we can bring up a few charts on the relative pricing of the Federal Reserve and a few um, of the European central banks, because this is interesting in, in relation to this ongoing energy debate. Uh, Brian, so if you bring up the chart on, on sulfur pricing in the US, and then after that, the Sonia pricing in, in the UK, actually now the market is more hawkish um, in its future projections for the Bank of England relative to the Federal Reserve uh, when it comes to sort of the terminal rate being priced in to uh, to markets. That's pretty interesting uh, because that certainly wasn't the case like two to three months ago. Um, so for now, the market is clearly trading that the energy issue in Europe will grow bigger uh, during the fourth quarter and uh, it will ultimately lead European central banks to hike interest rates even more. And I cannot see that as a positive scenario for local equity markets since inflation is up and central banks will have to turn hawkish as a consequence relative to to what we see in the US. So that's my perfect trade, if I'm allowed to say so, Um, being long the uh, S&P 500 versus being short the DAX. Heading into Uh, this, yeah. Yeah, actually, um, yeah, that actually, uh, I actually might, I kind of just 
look, the, the, I gave about literally, you could just t- go back and time it, about three and a half seconds of thought of this. Um, shorting AUDJPY. Yeah. So the Aussie dollar. That would be a chance. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good idea. Um, I tend to think that um, that it's a fair assessment. Um, Short term, yeah. Weston, if uh, if we look um, towards the rest of the week, Jackson Hole commences on on Thursday. Um, we have a lot of questions on whether whether we have sort of a potential for a bounce if the Federal Reserve is dovish at that conference. Uh, so, what's your assessment of sort of the um, risk assets into this, given the um, sell off that we've seen today? So again, um, I mean, it depends on how dovish they are. Um, and, and look, I don't, I don't want to use the term dovish. I would just want to use the term less hawkish. But um, if they're full out dovish, as in like we are going to cut rates and provide liquidity, well, I, I mean, uh, that's that would that would actually probably be a, a knee jerk upside to markets and then followed by a crash because like markets are going to start thinking that CPI in the United States is going to hit like forty percent or whatever. Um, but I would think that um, still the current driver is not necessarily the the FOMC, um, and not because they don't matter or anything like that, but because of many reasons. One of which is that there's a ton of uncertainty with what the FOMC is going to do, which for which the FOMC themselves are shrouded in uncertainty about what they themselves are going to do. So, um, however, China is deteriorating at, on many fronts. And so there are, you know, and you see the the currencies just now breaking out. Um, USD CNY is breaking out, therefore CNY is breaking down. So many issues. You have COVID outbreaks. You have zero COVID policy. You have these record heat waves. You have droughts. You have power shortages that cuts. You know that makes uh, for industrial production cuts and all that kind of stuff. You have people not paying their mortgages and and just a, a ton of like sort of conflicts and all that so there's probably going to be usdc and my downside and that's probably going to pull down risk assets and that's going to have more of an influence on what would be largely a non-surprise shocking you know sort of revelations that come out of um jackson hole you're not going to get some sort of crazy thing that comes out of jackson hole they're going to say we're going to be we're we're concerned about inflation is that going to shock anyone if they say that? And if they say like, but we're also concerned about growth, is that really going to be shocking to anyone? Like, not necessarily. But like, forget about like what they say versus what they do. Um, and if you just look at what like China is doing, and, and just look at markets. Period. Just look at like like what market action is doing. It is following um, risk assets by and large are following uh, USDCNY inverted. So just keep a very close eye on that as USDCNY continues to hit through these new levels, um, ever higher or CNY ever lower. And they are managed, again, this is a managed currency, they are allowing for this to happen. So keep an eye on that. Good point. Um, We get a bunch of questions on the European energy crisis, and I want to just comment briefly on it uh, as the final um, remark of of today's show. we have a question on Norway um, curbing electricity exports to the European Union as a consequence of the ongoing electricity crisis. I think that's obviously worth noting since Norway is basically self-sufficient uh, and it could be one of sort of the um, countries of, of export that uh, Europe could rely on in, in this case, but uh, certainly on electricity and they're not willing to. Um, that's 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 fair to say. Uh, and also, if you look at the pricing of uh, Dutch gas, so the uh, TTF contracts priced um, out of out of uh, the Netherlands, um, 
I think the current market action is is clearly a signal that liquidity is non-existent. Um, we've heard that before. Uh, we also heard it that, that during the very latter part of Q4 last year that the liquidity was non-existent in these contracts because everyone's just the same way right now. Uh, no one's willing to sort of sell gas with a future date um, outside of those uh, sort of um, naturally inclined to. So it means that it's one-way traffic in these contracts, ma- making no liquidity on the sell side. Um, and, and therefore, basically, if we get just a glimpse of hope in this natural gas crisis, I think this market could turn around fairly quickly, as we've seen in other commodities. Uh, we also saw how uh, the market just spiked like crazy in December last year before it uh, went back to very low levels in January. Um, so you should certainly be on the watch for a reversal of that. A gas trade in, in Europe as well. I don't necessarily think it's just around the corner, but if we look three, four months ahead, I think we will price natural gas at much, much, much lower levels. Uh, so those were my two cents on uh, on the European energy crisis. Weston, uh, it will be interesting to watch the uh, Jackson Hole later this week. Thank you for, uh, for joining the uh, debate today. Thanks so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. Uh, and as always, I'll conclude the show with a meme. Uh, and today's meme is, uh, of course, a meme on the euro uh, after we broke parity again versus the US dollar. Uh, so Toby Maguire now <laughs> finally got his glasses on. It was not the Turkish lira breaking parity. It was the euro. I'm Andreas Steno. My colleague Maggie Lake will be back with more tomorrow with Darius Dale guesting the show. Thank you for watching the Real Vision Daily Briefing. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.